I don't feel at ease at all, not on any level, but watercolor is what brings me hope. Anna Courtois had her life turned upside down multiple times. From suddenly moving to the opposite side of the world more than once, to developing an allergy that completely changed her perception of outside stimuli, she never caught a break. And she never broke either. Quite the opposite. Anna kept figuring out ways to turn lemons into lemonade. Please join us for today's inspiring story with one of the most resilient women I have ever interviewed. We talk about the influence that art has on society, how portrait painting connects people, why watercolor is her medium of choice, and Anna's upcoming portrait course. Before we start, some inside information on Anna's course. It launches on August 19th live, and Anna will teach you how to draw a face in a way that's accurate and resembles the person you're portraying. You can read all the details at etcherlab.com forward slash Anna-course, that's A-N-N-A-course. Uh, to give you a quick heads up, so from exercises to a complete monochrome watercolor painting, you will exit this course knowing how to do it and do it properly. It's fit for both absolute beginners with no prior drawing or painting experience, as well as more experienced artists. So please come and check out Anna's free live demonstration on August 11th at noon Eastern. You can learn more about the course, see Anna in action, and ask her all your questions. Okay, so that's it for the shout out. I'm done. Let's dive into the interview. Thank you so much for listening. Anna, can you guide us through your story? When did you first fall in love with art? Well, I, uh, I guess I didn't call it art yet, but I, as far as I can, far back as I can remember, I, uh, I would. As soon as I could hold a pencil or a marker in my head, I would be drawing. And, uh, and I would draw on anything. So my mom was very cautious. With, she always put paper everywhere for me to, uh, to draw on. So, uh, yeah, you could say I was born with it. And uh, uh, whenever there were, for me as a young child, boring moments when we would go to restaurants and we had to wait for dinner i would always draw 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 oh, wonderful so it was very clear from an early age that i yeah that that's where my heart was and um so my mom very much um stimulated that or or supported that so she uh let me go to uh art classes on at a young age and we used to go to the zoo to draw animals there oh, and uh, wow. So I was lucky with that. It was very, um, very supportive from, especially from my mom to, um, yeah, to continue with that. And, um, and it, then, it, sorry. It just, it sounds like your mom was a very supportive person. She was. And she, yeah, she, she, I think really, um, she doesn't, she's not here anymore, but she was very keen on, um, making sure that whatever I and my brother, I have a brother, really love doing, that we would get the opportunities to do that as much as possible. So, so yeah, 
that, that and I think that's very important for any child, you know, when they whatever it is they like doing, that they get the support from their parents to uh, explore and to uh, yeah, you build up on that on that love and and then the talent starts growing and uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, mm, that's that is indeed beautiful. So how did you go from there? So how old were you when you started having lessons? And how did that evolve? Tell us the story, the bridge up until today, because at some point portraits become a big thing for you. So I know there's a whole story there that I'd love, we'd love to hear about. Sure. So, well, so I started lesson young, like when I was, like more serious lessons around the age of nine. And then, and actually, and when I was around 13, 14, I had my first watercolor lessons. And really, like, wow. the technique of watercolor, it was uh, quite exciting. And I loved it. I loved it right from the beginning. It was... Really? It, yes. Yes. It was... It somehow seemed to fit my, I don't know, my mobility, motority, or... I don't know. It, it just really fit well with with how I was drawing and painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you were drawing and painting? Yeah, like uh, like I think everybody has a natural uh, tendency in what they love most in doing art. Some people like to uh, work very opaque with paint, for instance. Well, I'm not that person, which mm-hmm. is great. If, if you know, I love people who use very in pasto kind of uh, painting style, but that was not me. So I really yeah. loved the transparency right from the beginning. I loved the, the looking through layers. And um, so that, that seemed to fit for me, watercolor. And um, and then when, at the age of 18, I went to art school in Amsterdam. And we did do watercolor there too. Uh, not so much so, but I mean, I got a lot of different techniques there. It was a very traditional art school with um, figure drawing and anatomy and perspective. And and also, they also allowed you to kind of develop your own style. And so it was pretty a broad kind of um, education. Mm-hmm. And um, and then actually when I graduated, I kind of left painting in my own, own art uh, <laughs> aside. I, I wanted to explore further and I studied in college. So and I started started studying sociology of art and culture, which is oh. very interesting, yes, because it really sh- showed them the like the behind scenes of art and how art through not only through the ages has been created, but especially how people have appreciated it and how much influence it has had through the ages on on our uh, well mostly Western um, society. So that was interesting. So it's more than art history. It's about yes. how art is perceived. Yeah. Is that what I'm how hearing? Art is perceived, but also how art is used as a means to have influence on society. For instance, in the Renaissance, paintings 
I mean, the most of the paintings were made for the church. And the church, of course, had a huge um, power. So, so the art was sort of used as a as a power tool almost. So, um, yeah, that that's very interesting. Very interesting. Well, um, I'm curious now. Can you give me more examples? <laughs> I'm very curious. This sounds wow. This. Because I'm starting to see how this all builds up to your approach to art, but I, I just want to make sure I get it before we get there. So mm -hmm. the church, great example. You know, church was the biggest patron. And yes. I love how you're talking about how art would be used to help convert more people into faith and connect yes. people with God and, yeah. and get them to follow, especially because people could not read back then. So art was the main means of communication, right? Right, so, exactly. Exactly. That's you're you spot on. That's exactly how it was. And and during that study, yeah, we really went more deep into that. But not only about that time, also like in our contemporary times, where uh, of course now art is no no longer directly linked to the church. Uh, mm -hmm. It has broken itself free. Mm -hmm. Art, large, pool art, you know, we make art just for the, the sake of art itself. But mm -hmm. uh, art still, as, at least the, let's say, famous art and the famous artists, um, they they potentially have a lot of worth, you know, like Van Gogh's and Mondrian's, they cost billions of dollars these days. Mm -hmm. And so instead of the church, it's sort of art can be used as a like yeah like a again like a sort of a means to um distinct uh and to first of all to make money but also to distinct in a cultural way like so, so this is the art it's worth a lot mm -hmm. and if you own that art or you're somehow related to it then you mean something in society you know then you, oh you know, power power exactly and and that's a whole system, and it still exists today. And um, exists and today. How? Like, because it seems as if you were trying to understand that, even though you left art aside, to see how you could apply that knowledge to the art you make, or at least it feels like it's somehow connected to that today. So, can you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, maybe it has to do with the fact that, of course, like when I graduated from art school, I was, I had ambition. I wanted to, um, see my art hanging in galleries, but the art world in the Netherlands is very small and it's very like, it's an sort of an in crowd. And, um, and that sort of the system that I just talked about is also a little bit behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I felt like as a young, <laughs> like I was like in my 20s, I felt like I was very um, naive, I guess. Uh, exactly. I thought, yeah, my art, you know, okay, there are lots of wonderful other artists also, but my art is great, <laughs> you know, and I think it deserves to be shown. And But it mm -hmm. didn't, it wasn't easy like that, you know, and it was, and it seemed like that, that, that the way art was appreciated or even judged seemed very 
didn't make it the way that, that happened in galleries. If you would show your art and the critique you would get, they didn't a lot of times didn't for me make much sense because it seemed like they were measuring it with a standard that didn't seem like really authentic to me, if that makes sense. Like there seemed to, I, I kind of felt there was this, the system behind it of um, interest. Yes, of interest of, okay, does your art fit, or not even your own art, but your whole personality. Does your personality fit into our world and the way we want to show it to our audience? And and that makes sense, of course. Commercial. Yes, and that, but it made me curious, like, okay, so what's behind it? And I, I, I really didn't want to go there. I felt like I don't want to play that game. Mm-hmm. I just want to do what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to feel I have to make something that will please others, you know, or that, yeah. or that if I'm lucky, it might fit in or something. You know, I didn't want so, but I was curious how it worked, how it worked behind the scenes. So I guess that... I didn't make that choice very um, uh, consciously at the time, but I think that was the motivation behind my choice to to start uh, studying sociology. Uh, Interesting. So you were trying to find a way to go around the system. I guess so. Yes. Yes. That's very interesting. Okay. So when you left college, you paused painting then you focus on art sociology. Yes. And what then? So what happened afterwards? And what then? Um, well, after a while, I started to look at the future. And, of course, I was also very much in touch with my my peers, my the, the other students. And they had a very clear vision what they wanted to do after graduating um, they wanted to work in museums or they, or, or they want to work as an art marketeer. I thought, hmm, that's not really what I want. And I returned back to my studio, actually. I, I, just, I had to do something with my hands. That was very uh-huh. How, How's the art uh, market there? Because at least in here, so I live in Portugal, there is not really... It's nearly impossible to make a living as an artist. Usually, mm. we're something else, and we do art part time. Yes. So how how does it work? Because yeah, it, it feels it, like yeah, museums and yeah. from the t- what I'm what I'm hearing is specific label jobs because being an artist doesn't yeah. doesn't seem like it's a thing. Is is that right? It's a thing, but yeah, it still remains hard to make. A living from it. Um, either you have to like to kind of shift towards commercial side and and kind of sell yourself and your art, which which can work. And but uh, the challenge there, I think, is that you keep your art authentic to yourself, but still make commercial it in a way that it sells, which that can be challenging. Or mm-hmm. there are other ways, and that that's been very. Uh, popular so to speak in the Netherlands applying for grants because there are a lot of uh, grant institute or institutions that give grants here and good grants also wow um but that also has attracted a lot of foreign artists to the Netherlands 
which in one side is wonderful because we have a great but... variety of artists here. But on the other side, like yeah. if I speak very selfishly, it's like, yeah, but hey, I'm I a get it. This and now my chances to get a grant is you know, it's decreasing. Yeah. <laughs> There's no balance between, hey, we have this much for foreigner artists, but we mm -hmm. have this reserved for our own yeah. artists. It's not really, no, not really. Yeah. There are some grants that are only for if you're okay. really settled in the Netherlands, but others don't. So it, yeah. And I think it's it's getting more it has grown more um uh like I guess this has expanded on a more European level. I don't know how it is in Portugal, but I know from other countries. Like I could now also apply for grants in Germany or in England, and it's not easy. It's not easy to get in, but it's possible. Good. Yeah. All right. So there, there, there are paths there. So yeah. So please continue. So yeah. So I went back to my studio, uh, but that kind of I was still young. I was still in my early twenties, and that kind of. Now I had like, okay, I'm going to have a very simple job and I just want to focus again on my art. I really want to, like, I thought I had a lot of experience now, <laughs> you know, and mm -hmm. I could just really do something. And uh, <laughs> that kind of woke the uh, concern of my family. And they thought, oh no, she's, you know, so she just, she had, she studied sociology. She should get a really good job by now, you know. And, uh -oh. I, and I wasn't interested in that. So uh, I had uh, like one of my family members worked for a very big company that, uh -oh. that imports cars. And it's a, it's a rich company with, and they had, I'm not sure if they still have it, but they used to have a art collection. And so Kaicha, my family member, she, um, kind of allured me into it like she spoke to the manager there and said i have this a niece and she's wonderful she knows everything about art you need her she can manage your art collection so i was <laughs> invited to come over there wow. and, and um and yeah so they basically asked me to do to manage it because the art collection was kind of um circulating through the different um, companies throughout the country and the idea mm -hmm. was that, that the art should kind of move that it wouldn't stay in the same place all the time and so they invite yeah they asked me if I wanted to manage that and yeah I couldn't <laughs> everybody said yeah you'd be very stupid if you say no to this job but something inside me didn't want to do it <laughs> But I mean, because I really longed for my own, you know, working in my own workspace and creating my own things. And I knew that if I would start with a job, it wasn't full time, but almost full time. I knew I wouldn't have enough to make your own with. art. Yes, that must that must have been a very hard decision, especially given the pressure you were under. Yes. How were you able to make that call? Yeah, well, I just did it. I did it, and I, I guess also because I was still young, I thought I felt like I. Uh, it could do anything. Oh, oh, yeah, a bit, but also like I still wanted to please my family. You know, I, I wasn't entirely. I mean, I was financially independent, but I wasn't entirely emotionally independent yet. <laughs> and so I guess, um, yeah, I felt like okay, I just have to do this. 
but um and so I did that for a few years and actually I learned a lot there uh especially with how people appreciate art so it was a in that oh. sense it was a very good continuation of of my sociology study because uh, I got of course I got a lot of discussions with people on the work floor how they what they what their thoughts was on the art that were present was presented there and what they wanted to see and not what they liked about it or not. And some people were really moved also by some art, which they, they really got attached to it. And then I, you know, it's like, okay, I'm sorry, it's time to move this artwork to a different place. And they were like, oh no, please don't my take it away. <laughs> no, my child. <laughs> so you well, still worked there for a few years. How long did you work there? Um, uh, let me think. Think. For four years or something. So you were there until your mid late twenties. Yes, yes. And then something interesting happened. Oh. Because I, there still was this frustration somewhere in me, like, yeah, okay, I, I got this job. I'm all settled now. Good income, and you know, and comfortable, comfortable. But I'm not really doing what I want to do. I want to spend more time focusing on my own art making mm -hmm. and um and then so the, the boss of the company who was also the owner uh he was a nice guy kind of yeah we kind of had a click just uh, on a colleague level and um he was older so he was kind of about to retire and he had set up a new business just for his own fun in Argentina. Oh, yes. Um, I see where this is going. Huh. <laughs> exactly. So, and so he had set up vineyards in Argentina and also some farms. And again, when he was there, he started to meet artists over there and started to sort of create an art collection over there. And so at some point he said, wouldn't you be interested to come to Argentina and, oh, wow. you know, and meet some of the artists yeah. there and, um, and you know, and get in touch with them and uh, see if he didn't really offer me a job there, but he could also tell that he, I, because he had shown some works from Argentina and he told me about how it was there and so he could tell that i uh, i think that i was curious and and uh, expand your views your horizon yes. get you in touch with different artists from different places yes and i also think that he thought that i was a nice young lady from amsterdam i thought oh that, that's a nice you know that that's that, he saw the picture of me like a blonde girl in Argentina. oh that's that's going to work. great for marketing <laughs> beautiful young lady yeah. blonde argentina <laughs> that's gonna sell that's that's <laughs> exactly. a win-win situation here exactly yes so so he um and he was very generous. So he, he said, whatever you want, you can stay very long. So I, in the end, I stayed three months the first time. Wow. Travel around and uh, he wouldn't pay for everything, but he paid for a lot. And yeah, so mm -hmm. it was really, that was, yeah, a major opportunity for me. And I had never traveled that far before also. Wow. And, and, and it was, I had no expectations because I'd never 
myself had any intention to go there, but so I was totally open. It's totally open. Okay, I really I am into this. I really like to go. It's a great invitation. And I just, you know, I'm just gonna enjoy it. And um, and it basically shook <laughs> shook the foundation I was I thought I had built for myself that whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, How so? Because I met people there. I also fell in love with the oh. artists there. And I really made friends there. And from the moment, basically from the moment I arrived there, I very much felt at home there. Because I, I had the expectation, oh, if I arrive there, it's going to be very exotic and very different. And, and, and you know, and, and in a way it was for me coming from the, the, the lowlands, the cold northern Netherlands. Yeah. But in a way also it was very um, somehow... Uh, yeah normal like very I felt very much at home there it's just I just really like it here you know and not not because it was also very exciting of course but also on, on a daily on a daily basis like how I got along with people and um, yeah it was it was very very special so and so since I kind of started a relationship with someone there <laughs> when I got back to the Netherlands I thought okay I somehow <laughs> have to Need go to, get to Argentina wow. again and uh and my boss was yeah he he sort of tried to support me but he also of course still wanted to get something out of it for himself or for, of course. for the company Um, So he did offer me a job, but it was in a very remote place up in the Sierra, somewhere in the west of Argentina. Beautiful place, but that that was too isolated for me. So I refused or I I thanked him for it and uh, didn't do that. And then I decided, okay, I'll just have to um, somehow find a way to be more in Argentina, but on my own account and I was able to manage in a way that I would work a few months in the Netherlands full time or extra time then take a few months off and then I would Um, manage it um, for a few years and then through the guy with whom I had a relationship I um, got in touch again with portrait painting because uh-huh. um, I already had been painting and drawing figure and portraits in school, mm. art school, but I didn't really at that time do that much with it. I, I, mm. For me, it was just learning, you know, learning how to do it. Mm. And then when I was there in Argentina, um, he uh, he would paint not just portraits, also figures and also, uh, you know, groups of people um, in, in special settings and everything. And um, so he knew a lot of people that would want to pose for him. And also close to his, where he lived, there was this um, cult, sort of a very small, simple neighborhood cultural center where a lot of kids would come together. 
And and we would go there sometimes just to hang out with those children, which was always a lot of fun. But also we started to paint them. And uh, that was very special. And, and those kids were, they were, yeah, they were wonderful. They were very excited, of course, this lady from, from Europe that would come and paint them. That was like, wow. So, uh, and I was like, wow, these kids, they are so open and willing and enthusiastic and they sit still for you. And, and, and so, so that was, uh, that was a great experience. And, and that's where your love for portrait painting really started to... I think so, yes. Yes. The, the contact with the person you paint and how that sort of, how you can sort of distill that into a painting. That's where it started. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, by the time I was still working in oil, because... Um, that was sort of the, yeah, I don't know why. It was kind of like the most um, obvious medium to work in. Uh, I didn't work with Oscar at that time. Yeah. I think with oil, uh, I was still also trying to find a way to make a living from my art. And I, back then, and maybe that was also partly true, I believed that, the medium oil was is taken more seriously than other media in art. If you would make an oil painting, people would understand. If you would make a watercolor, people would say, oh, that's a nice sketch, you know? Oh. Not, not, not that everybody yes. has that opinion, but it, for me, it felt a little bit like, maybe I, even myself, I, I believed that. Like, yes, but watercolor is not as um, accepted as a mm. um, used medium in itself, not as a preparation for something else, but a medium mm. in itself. Um, so back then, I mean, we're talking about um, more than 20 years ago. So, of course. Or more or less 20 years ago. So, and yeah, so, well, that Argentina was wonderful, but. Again, I felt like, okay, I, I seriously had the um, thoughts in my head that I wanted to settle there more permanently. But to do that, I also felt then I have to have a financial, um, a good financial foundation for myself yeah. somehow. And of course I had the job, but at some point the job ended because my mm. boss retired. So he had, there was this yeah, was other family, family member who took over and he wasn't into art at all. So <sighs> he, um, he kept some of the art that was still relating through these different companies, but he sold a lot of it. So basically my job was just finished by then. And so I thought, okay, now I have been traveling up and down from the Netherlands to Argentina for years. I don't really know what's going on in the Netherlands, actually, especially not in the art scene. But I do want to make a living in, in, in art. So I have to somehow find a way to get acquainted again with because the money should come from the Netherlands. It was not going to come from Argentina. 
mm-hmm. at least not right from the start. So, mm-hmm. um, so I decided to go back to school and to do a master in arts in the Netherlands. I applied for it. I, um, they accepted me and I did a two must, two year master study, um, in arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, for myself to to find out, okay, where am I with my art, <clears throat> and how can I make a living from it? Um, so that put me in touch with a lot of different, also different artists with all very different working methods. And the art that was made by a lot of people, a lot of other students also, where it was very conceptual and very mm-hmm. um, site specific. And that was very interesting, but it kind of pulled me away again from, from my own, um, yeah, my own. I, I felt like my whole life I had to sort of pull myself back from, from all the different, um, wonderful opportunities, but also very, um, it can be very distracting in a way if, if you get a lot of input from, from, from uh, from other artists, from other countries, from other beliefs, from other mm-hmm. people with totally different history. It's super interesting, but it's also, you really have to be very focused on what you want to do with that, all that information. And that I had a hard time with that. Um, mm-hmm. So in a way it did, put me in touch also with the Dutch art scene again. But again, I was kind of struggling. Yeah, but where do I fit in? <laughs> again. Again, yes. It's, I guess some sort of a uh, recurrent theme <laughs> in my career. Yeah, it toughened you up for sure because you were constantly being taken out of your comfort zone, putting you yeah. somewhere new and you just had to... You know, you were thrown into the deep end and you had to figure out a way to make it all work. Yes. And that multiple times within the span of a few years, that's impressive. Yeah. That's resilience. I guess so. It didn't feel like that, at least not at the time. But of course, I I felt like I was bouncing from one side to the other. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a family. I remember talking to a, a professor who came to visit during our my master's study, he did a lecture there. He was an interesting guy. He he actually he was an art historian. And I told him, uh-huh. you know, that I did, no, I did that art school, then I went to Arshtina and I had I had an art managing job and then now I'm here. Sometimes I don't know where I'm going. And he said, No, to me it makes perfect sense. First you study art and then you did sociology and then you went to Argentina and you could apply all your knowledge and now you're coming here to deepen your knowledge and for him yeah. <laughs> it made total sense so so I guess it's also depends on how you look at it but yeah yeah if you're looking at it from outside it's easier to make sense out of it but you know when you're caught up in the middle yeah. of it trying to figure it out as you go yes. it's pretty overwhelming it especially yes. when you're everywhere but home exactly it's it's well, a lot. And that you made a very good point because that also was also what my art was about at that time. Like I, I was by that time I was interested in drawing landscape, painting mm-hmm. also. And as then I started to work with watercolor again. I made also some mm. watercolor landscapes, but landscapes mostly about rec- um 
uh, it revolving around home, what is home. Uh, and, and if you're in a place, does it is that home or is it? Uh, how does it feel? How uh, does it feel? Like the emotional connection. Yes. There's something very special about your art, Anna. Thank you. And I was, as I was going through your website, yeah, of course. And as I was going through your website, I, I read a brief mention of you having an allergic reaction to something and how that shifted the way you perceive and feel things yeah. and how you experience them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that plays a role in your art making? Thank you. Yes, sure. Yeah, that happened right very soon after I finished the master's. Um, mm. Yeah, so I had an allergic reaction to antibiotics. Um, the antibiotics were for a uh, intestine issue, but mm-hmm. it had a profound um, effect on my brain, especially on my wow. nerves and all my senses, the senses that kind of work around the, the, the nerves, the nerves that kind of manage the senses so the brain nerves and how that how that's possible i don't know nobody knows the doctors don't know but um from one day to the other i during that during that antibiotic treatment i uh, had difficulties focusing with my eyes um sounds became extremely noisy i couldn't bear the sounds anymore Wow. And I started to have tinnitus or tinnitus, which is mm-hmm. chronic um, ringing. In, in, it's as if it's in your ear, but it's actually in your brain. So you have constant ringing in your head. And, um, and yeah. And, and so, and since it happened totally unexpected from one day to the other, I was, yeah, it was kind of like a shock to me. It's, like, it's almost like a trauma. Like, I was I was knocked over. I, I was, um, yeah, I couldn't do anything anymore. I felt totally disabled because just going outside was too much for me. All the sounds, the noise of the cars, the street, or even mm. if people talking. Like if more than two people would talk, if I would be in discussion with more than two people, I just couldn't follow anymore what they were saying because it was just too overwhelming. My brain just couldn't kind of process it anymore. And um, so I, yeah, so basically that meant that my whole social life just kind of collapsed. Because I couldn't. Where were you? So it was after the master's, but where where in the world were you then? Uh, yeah, so I was back in Amsterdam and I was actually okay. at the point that I thought, okay, so now I can build up my life and I can start traveling to Argentina again. I was Shoot. really already thinking about that. And, uh-huh. and yeah, no. And then, <laughs> nope, universe decided differently. Um, so, yeah, because traveling was out of the question. Even Completely just stepping into an airplane was impossible with all the noise and the people and everything. And Just going outside into the street was a yes. huge deal. Yes, yes. What did you do? How uh, did you cope with well, this? First, first, I went through the whole medical um, system and they couldn't find anything. And, da, 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 da. and so I went to more alternative um 
treatments and therapies, which kind of helped a little bit. But basically, it just threw me back to myself. And I moved out of the city. I lived in Amsterdam, but it was too much there for me. So I was able to find a more quiet place um, outside the city in the countryside where I live still today. Mm-hmm. And it's much more quiet here. So it's in a very close to a nature reserve, perfect for my senses, but totally away from my social life, my connections and, and everything. And also I had uh, another job back then. Um, I worked for an art magazine for a while, but I couldn't work with computers anymore. The screen, the Oh my god. The flickering of the screen that would just burn my eyes. Too so much. So I had to quit the job as well. Oh my god. And um so basically my whole life just turned upside down from one day to the other, basically. So yeah, that, that took me years to Yeah, because there's no cure. You just have to no. learn to yes. cope with it, which yes, takes years. Yes. Because it's it's not one sense, it's every single sense. Yes was exponentially augmented in a way. Exactly. It just yeah. made you impossible to just... So did you just turn yourself more into isolation and art? Was that what happened? Yes. Yes. And art was one of the few things that I could still do, you know. Um, I, I, I made, made very big drawings. I wasn't really able to do that anymore. Um, <sighs> But I started to work very small and because I would get very tired since I got so mm-hmm. overstimulated so quickly. I, it would tire me out like within an hour if I would be doing something. So I had to really change the way I was working. And I saw these big drawings, they were not working for me anymore. So I turned back to the small size on my desk, just like, you know, wow. letter size uh, paper. Mm-hmm. And I went back <laughs> back to my roots <laughs> and totally focused on watercolor. Because so that's, that's when... Yeah, because I felt completely at ease with watercolor. That's okay. I, I, I don't feel at ease at all, not on any level, but watercolor is what brings me home. So that's where the watercolor came in again. I'm starting to get it now. Now I, I, I want to understand what you meant. And looking back, what would you say that makes you so passionate about art and art making? Ooh, that's a good question because that really touches on the very core essence of why I make art. Um, well, the way I look at it, I believe that like we call it art, but I really see it more as an expression of something very essential. I guess what is essentially me. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean so much me. I'm Anna Korteweg. Uh, I live uh, in the Netherlands and uh, I have a nice life and da da da. But I feel more me on a more fundamental level you could maybe even say on a like divine there's something divine in it so the um there's an expression that 
is apparently I was born with it. And I believe that everyone is born with some sort of expression that they are good at and that they love to do, whatever it is. And I believe, so it's kind of happening through me. Um, and when I'm doing it, everything falls into place. Wow. Everything. And when I restrain from doing it, things get chaotic. Wow. Um, life doesn't seem to make much sense anymore, at least not as much as I would like to. And there's much less peace. And the interesting thing with those traits that I have with, with my eyes and ears and nerves, um, they, it says that they kind of push me back into that um, essence of just do your art. <laughs> don't, you, don't, you don't get distracted. Just come back to yourself. And that's what I believe it is, just coming back to yourself, to your own peace, your own essence of yourself. And like I said, I believe everyone has that. I don't think I'm unique in that. I believe everyone has a certain passion for something, even if it's not very obvious what it is, but it, it's there. It's only, yeah. So for you, art is a passion because it connects you to your inner self and brings you at ease. And I, it feels like what you're saying is if art calls out to you, whoever you are, this is for our listeners, then do it because it's good for you. It will make you feel better. Is, is this what I'm hearing? Yeah, well, it's, I don't look at it as some sort of cure. I mean, it can work as a cure. Because that, that's that's the effect that it can have, but it's not mm -hmm. the, the the main reason. I it's not like a pill you swallow and then you you'll feel mm -hmm. better. That's not what I think. It might seem mm -hmm. that way sometimes because art can be wonderful to do, but that's not the essence of it. I believe it's like we all have a basic tendency to express ourselves, and a lot of times we're not sure how. But there is in everyone a unique kind of expression available. And art is a fantastic way to do that because art is expression very directly. But it can also mm -hmm. be something else. Like if you love cooking or if you love mm -hmm. helping other Dancing. people or anything. Mm -hmm. But I, I see that as an expression, um, expression of something deeper inside us. I do believe that if if someone is expressing themselves in a way that it's genuine and it comes from a sense of happiness or peace or then that will fil filter out it will kind of you know reach others as well and it will kind of connect and others will uh, be able even unconsciously be able to tune into that too um, yeah that's how I see it. When did teaching become a thing for you? Oh, well, that started early also. Because in the first art school where I was, um, there was also a curriculum to get your teacher's degree. And I did that. Ah. <laughs> so it's been a thing for a while now. Yes. 
which I'm not surprised given your the standards to which to which you push yourself every time you teach. Uh, dear listeners, if you're listening to this episode, you know, just the behind the scenes conversation we have with Anna are fantastic because Anna does not just give us a lesson plan. Everything that you do, Anna, the curriculum for your course that we're launching here is so well thought of, so well structured. There's always a reason for everything and everything is planned with the utmost detail that I've been wondering, how did this come? Where did this come from? How this is not news for her. Anna has been teaching for a long time because this is not, oh, I can teach about this and just go over that and just glaze or gloss over stuff. No, no, no. Everything is very well thought of and planned. And um, I don't even need to ask you follow-up questions because the, the, the materials you gave us are when you and Kitty, your producer, Kitty Mayer, when, when you both gave me the curriculum for the course, I'm the one who does the copywriting for it. I had no questions at all. Everything was clear, crystal clear. And it's amazing because it's, it's not easy to be that focused. So you've been teaching for a while. Uh, how does teaching make you feel? Well, in the, at the beginning, when I was young, <laughs> I actually... Uh, I don't know. I wasn't very attracted to it, to be honest. I, oh. I did, um, I did ha- get some experience, especially teaching in schools, but mostly like as internships. Of course, in school, high school especially, you're dealing with kids that are mm-hmm. half the time not very motivated, you know, uh, or more than half of the time. They see that at least then. I don't know. Maybe it's changed because a lot of change in in at least our school system here but back mm-hmm. then um the student for the art lesson was more like a relaxing hour like oh i had maths i had i had Science. english i had history now i can relax because we have a drawing lesson you know <laughs> yeah it's not work it's just like chill time no. not taking it seriously not so much so and i found that very challenging back then now it would i would welcome the challenge i would find it very interesting but back then i thought geez Come on, I just want to do my lesson. Why why aren't these kids listening to me, you know? <laughs> oh. So that put me a little off. And also that's why I didn't really continue with that uh, after. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um but and I, I guess I did learn some very fundamental basics about teaching and about how to um yeah, like you said, like create a structure that can be also that people can understand, but also can be interesting for them. And um, so, yeah, I think that's how it went. Well, I had some private lessons with people here and there, but not that many, to be honest, um, during the last years or ever since Mm -hmm. I graduated until now, until I... I joined you at Etcher, actually. So yeah, and you got back very, to teaching. Yeah, I was very excited. So I was really happy, very happy. You were happy. You were very happy. Invitation because that yeah, it's like oh, it came at a perfect time for me actually because so it feels as if you're passionate again about teaching. Uh, not as passionate as just making my own art. 
<laughs> well, true that I would never compare one with the other because your story left it clear. But comparing to how you felt about teaching before, mm-hmm. there, it feels like there was a big shift, right? Definitely, definitely, yes, yes. We know why because we're adults and we're cool, right? Exactly, exactly. There you go. Yes. If you're a teenager and you're listening to this, you do not fit into the teenagers that Anna just mentioned, okay? Because if you're listening to this, then you obviously care. Uh, So please stay tuned because I want to know more about Anna's course. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, tell us about your course. What is it about? Well, so it's um, very exciting too, I think. We're going to um, create a whole portrait in watercolor from Mm -hmm. totally scratch to finish. So we start with a blank piece of paper and we're going to dive deep into, um, okay, so what techniques do you actually need to draw and paint a portrait? Um, Because of course, a lot of times, me included, we use photo references and direct transfers on paper sort of. uh, which, which is very helpful because the photo reference and the transfer will help us to deal with proportions, how the features relate to each other. Mm-hmm. But we kind of skip the whole part of, yeah, but how is the face actually structured? And um, how mm-hmm. do the features actually relate to each other? And I think because what I realized when I was... Of course, I learned quite a lot of techniques during art school. We did model mm-hmm. sketching and face, uh, portraits, drawing and painting. Uh, so they taught me quite a lot of techniques, but it was only later that I realized, yeah, it's not just about the techniques. It's also the manner and the order in which you apply them. And that was like, bing, Yes. We can learn a thousand techniques to do something, but it only comes together really if you know how to actually sort of implement them. And And that's what we're going to learn. And that's what we're going to do in the course. That's why it's quite a long course. It's six weeks, but we really need that time to, to really build it up. Mm -hmm. And, and I believe that, and the, I, the course is for anyone, even if you've never drawn any portrait at all ever in your life, you can totally join, no problem. But also for people who have been painting portraits and who have quite experience as well, um, I think it can be still very interesting because, like what I said, I think we can get, even me sometimes, I can get really cut up with all the different techniques that all the different skills you actually need, like the, like I said, the proportion, the depth, the light, um, the expression, um, and then I <laughs> didn't even mention the resemblance yet, you know? So it's a lot, it's a lot that goes into a portrait painting. And I believe that it helps for anyone to kind of see, okay, so if, if I put this, after that, and if I kind of build it up in a certain structured way, it's going to help me. And that's what I would like to um, do in the course. Yes. So excited. I'm so excited. Can you tell us what pain points you will be solving for us students? 
I mentioned it already a little bit, but I really the um, the resemblance is a big thing, you know. Um, how do you actually achieve that the face looks not only like the person, but also that it that everything fits, that that the features fit with each other, that it looks like a convincing portrait. How do you do that actually, you know? And it's not just a matter of a lot a lot a big part of it is looking at your um photo reference or subject but there's much more to it and um, that's what we're going to cover it, I, I hope it will help with getting stuck in painting like oh I, I really got very far the colors are beautiful the hair looks wonderful but the face is totally off how did that happen you know so that's what I would like to address like how can you build it up in a way that that it all fits together without getting stuck or at least not too much stuck. Mm -hmm. And then if you're interested in the course, uh, please go and enroll. Go to etcherlab.com forward slash Anna dash course. You'll be taken to the landing page. All right. And you know, there's a live feedback session at the end where you'll be addressing uh, you'll be checking out the final assignments and giving pointers and in, in encouraging feedback, as well as you'll be answering questions throughout the course for those of us who want to do it live. So if you're a student, you can upload your work as you do it to our website. Uh, there, on, on the page for the course, there is a section for, for there for you to upload your work. And you'll be there on the website, just checking the uploads every now and again, giving pointers. Everyone else is welcome to help each other out. And then, yeah, everything is live. You'll be answering questions live. So anyone attending live can just ask questions. If you don't want to do the course live, you can catch the recording. You can submit your questions in advance. And we will ask the questions for you as we're live and you can just catch the recording later. So no pressure there with time zones or availability because you can still get the most out of it even if you can't be present. If you are still not sure if the course is for you, we welcome you to join us on August 11th because Anna will be doing a free demonstration live on our YouTube channel and that will be at noon Eastern time. So please... Uh, do check it out. The recording will remain available on YouTube. And we usually do a art supply giveaway at the end. So if you're there live, you stick until the end, you might earn some art goodies. Uh, so so please do check it out. All right. Any any last words before we go, Anna? Um, enjoy. <laughs> and this is a wrap for today's episode. So what was your favorite part of today's conversation? Let us know in the post associated with this episode at etcherlab.com forward slash courtewech. That's E-T-C-H-R-L-A-B.com forward slash K-O-R-T-E-W-E-G. All the relevant links are also there. And a quick last minute shout out for Anna's upcoming course. Head over to etcherlab.com forward slash Anna dash course that's a double n a dash course to learn more about her new offering coming to our website on august 19th 
That's it for today. I'm Anya Marcus. This is the Make More Art Podcast by Etcher. And until next time, keep on making more art. Thank you so much for listening.